Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, I'm Carolyn Ford. Welcome to Tech Transforms. Today, I welcome John Curran, Executive Editor at Meritalk. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, Carolyn. How are you? I'm good. I I have to tell you, like this episode that we're doing today, I love doing these because we get to armchair quarterback. Is that the right term? It is. Okay. Because we're going to do, we're going to look back on 2022 and I'm going to ask you, you know, what you saw, what the big tech trends were, um, if you saw any surprises. And then we get to do 2023 predictions. Um, and we're going to cover thing, everything from the executive EO on user experience um, and boosting agency CIO roles and um, zero trust. So let's get to it. I, I want to start with the armchair quarterbacking because I love that. Um, tell me what tech trends you saw in 2022 and especially if you saw some surprises. The Real big trends in sort of government tech policy, things the government needs to do, are carryovers essentially from 2021. So the very big one is the cybersecurity executive order, and we'll talk some about that. And the second one uh, is the executive order on customer experience and on the government improving that. Interestingly, and it's probably not been covered enough, OMB has built a stream of information to the public about uh, the president's management agenda, CX, uh, customer experience, CX stuff, really figures into that heavily. And just a week or two ago, they put out an update, a quarterly update of what they're doing with the PMA stuff, which was a little underwhelming, this one. Some of the previous ones have been a little more interesting. You can tell they're churning away at that. And in a lot of other places in government, you can tell they're churning away on zero trust. I see those two things as having been very consuming for federal agencies this year. And the way I base that conclusion on the fact that our reporting staff goes out and essentially goes to a ton of events where federal CIOs and CISOs and federal technologists are speaking publicly. And we listen to them. We write stories every day. And that's what they talk about. They talk about really having to get after the security order. So, you know, those two trends are big in terms of what CIOs and CISOs and other agency leadership has to be worrying about. The way the orders have been written doesn't give them a lot of wiggle room to defer action on either of those things. And so we see them coming up again and again as things that the Biden administration really wants agencies to make some serious headway on. We see some deadlines like 2024. And not only that, this is what's promising to me and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like the the budget coming up actually funds these things well great question because <laughs> do we have a budget coming up mm-hmm. right and so that's uh that's a thing that you know as of today i sit here and we talk amongst the reporting staff about whether that's going to happen and so as as things stand today and you can you can do the same reading that I do, you will find sort of a consensus that says 
there's a good chance that maybe we don't get full year FY 2023 appropriations passed. Uh, perhaps there is a continuing budget resolution that runs into, in worst case, all of next year. Um, what that means, that's a, that's a big thing for federal agencies, but also for the contractors that sell them the products and services to, to do things like zero trust. And so we talk to a lot of private sector people and they will just tell you, they will say, look, you know, we have stuff to sell to the government. The government wants to buy from us. They want to do these things. But if the budget isn't there, it's just not going to happen. It can't legally happen. Uh, an agency can't spend money that it doesn't have, that it hasn't been appropriated. And so when we talk to those people, you get a real feeling of concern that, you know, not only may government agencies not to be able to make the progress that they want to make, but also the private sector companies that are really lining stuff up for them may have a like not a great year. And so if you look at timing wise, we were supposed to have uh, FY23 approves on October 1st of this mm -hmm. year. So it didn't happen. So it's been, we're getting into the three month period with running on FY22 funding levels. Um, FY23 funding levels, we presume, and I think everybody believes, would have some more in agency budgets, would have some more in the budget uh, for CISA to really do more security work. But if that money's not there, the work won't happen at the volume that it's supposed to because you have to rely on FY22 funding levels. So it's a big problem um, yeah. and something that if you're if you're not in the government technology game, doesn't get talked about a lot, but money, money matters and you can't spend what you don't have. Right. That it's that's a frustrating feeling for me. And I'm not the one that has to deal with it directly before we move to or farther into 2023. I want to know if there was anything in 2022 that surprised you. Personally, that surprised me, maybe one or two things, I, and, and these are not criticisms, I'm not here to be critical. We look a lot at the Technology Modernization Fund and mm -hmm. and the, the fundings that they do, and they do them periodically, and the, the news happens often. I think they still still have several hundred million dollars to put out on, on projects. I think it's maybe, to me, slightly surprising that they haven't spent a little bit more of that money that they have. When we listen to TMF officials, you know, they give very proper explanations that we, that they evaluate projects carefully. And, you know, there's no reason to doubt that or doubt anything that you're doing. But the kind of flow of some of that, some of that billion dollars of TMF money that came to them last year, I think you could talk to certain members of Congress and maybe certain agency people that wished that they were a little bit splashier with the headlines on that. Mm. Again, that's that's not a criticism for me, but that's an observation of just having spoken with people about it. Yeah. Well, and then you talk about we're not funded for 2023 yet, and there's all this money from 2022. Now it feels even more frustrating. Let me ask you, though, for 2022, do the agencies, do you get the feeling that the agencies believe that they've made progress? Towards because because you know cybersecurity this has been I feel like since 2011 with the President Obama's executive order right like this that's when it really became this huge push 
Um, The agencies knew it was there before that, but do they feel like the agencies, like they've made momentum towards these efforts in 2022? I think if you asked federal agency tech leadership, I think the answer would be, would be yes. And I base that not on being able to read their minds, but I base that on how does Zero Trust uh, aspect of the cybersecurity executive order has really come down. And so um, one thing to know about executive orders is that they come in a lot of flavors. Um, the Biden administration has issued quite a few. The Trump administration issued quite a few. What we always look at when we report on those is the really specific language about what does the order really order agencies to do? What does it really, really require? And a lot of orders over the years are somewhat aspirational. And so they will start off with something like, you know, is the policy of this administration that, you know, X, Y, Z, or it is the, you know, we want OMB to take two years to study a discrete issue and then come back with recommendations. So those are good ways to kind of elevate what the policy concerns are, but they don't have a lot of instructions on the back end. Hmm. And I'm not saying that they're they're not taken seriously because they certainly are, but there's not a, a great big to-do list that goes along with it. Right. They just say, go do this, but there's no prescription exactly. on how to do it, right? Right. But if you look at the cyber EO and then you look at what springs from that through Zero Trust, it's super specific. Mm -hmm. So it came out with a list of 45-day deadlines, 90-day deadlines, six-month deadlines that were really uh, showed a lot of action that agencies had to do. There was not – they didn't have an option to not do these things. And sort of so, so OMB issued some subsequent guidance on that. CISA issued some really detailed subsequent guidance on that. And some of the bottom line there is, you know, we want to find out exactly where an agency is on security. So, so kind of unveiling, you know, the truth about your security, um, including maybe if there's any, you know, dirty laundry there or things that you haven't been doing, but they want to find where the baseline on security is for all agencies. And then they want to funnel money and they want to funnel people from CISA into the agencies to say, okay, well, now we'll sit down and we'll really start to to do stuff about that. Um, the federal CISO, Chris Russia, has been has been very vocal about that and very vocal about, you know, there kind of is no way to get around making progress on this order. So I think back to your original question, if you asked federal technology heads, are we making progress on it? I think everyone would say yes, because I think it's a it's a quite serious directive um, that agencies really can't get around. And I think technology people above all others realize how significant the cyber threats are and yeah. how much they grow. And, you know, the, the thing that everyone will tell you is that as as our government gets better at let's call it cyber defense, uh, the adversaries are always getting better at cyber offense Mm -hmm. and so it's it's never a static situation it's always something where the adversary is going to show you something next week that you hadn't seen the week before and so progress is really is super critical so i think that executive order really makes progress happen and i think agency people would probably agree with that yeah and as a citizen especially seeing some of those 
memorandums that really go into detail, give deadlines. Like it feels hopeful to me. It feels like a lot of progress was made. And one of those things you actually wrote about a recent article in November titled Cyber EO Boosting Agency CIO Rules. Um, you talk about how the CIO and security officials are getting a bigger seat at the table with agency leadership. I'm not going to lie. When I when this first was brought to my attention that it was even an issue, I'm like, what? Why would they not always have the seat at the table? Which actually you quote uh, Bob Castello saying the very same thing. Right. Um, my question is, so you you saw it gaining some momentum. Our agencies are seeing it gain some momentum, CISA specifically. Do you think it's going to continue and just get better in 2023? Is this one of our 2023 trends? I think it certainly has to. And what Bob Costello at CISA was talking about there was issues of security have been bumped up the ladder in importance at agencies. And so if you think of uh, an agency secretary, right? So think of what they have to do all day. They have to manage, you know, agencies that are quite large, have a lot of things going on, and they can't sit and worry about tech all day. They can't sit and worry about cyber all day. But what, what the effect of security EOs and zero trust policies do is it pushes those issues up to the secretary level. So instead of maybe a few years back, um, the CIO and the CISA would be kind of off in their own little area doing their techie things. And the agency secretary could just kind of assume a good job was getting done and, you know, the technology works. The policies are really directed at the agency secretaries. And so they have to take the CIOs and the CISOs and bring them to the table. Um, in addition to just the kind of technology people there, um, it also brings the agency financial people to the table. Super important because you can talk security all day, you can talk improvements all day, but ultimately it comes down to actually doing stuff and that involves money. And so when you have, you know, the agency CFO sitting there with a secretary, with an assistant secretary that really cares, that's, that's a big change. I don't see any of that not, not going that way in 2023 or frankly beyond. And just one more point on zero trust. Really, the, the whole point of the zero trust order was to take three years, so from 21 to 24, and to try to get agencies to what Krista Russia has called many times a common baseline of security. I think what that means is, um, you know, not like the best security that they will have, you know, 10 years down the road, but really kind of putting everybody up to the same basic level so that. Um, agencies like OMB and CISA can know what everybody has going on and can make improvements kind of throughout the government enterprise. That's like, that's a three year task that I think we're maybe 18 months in. So I would think for at least the next 18 months, um, it's, it's not only status quo on security being very important. I think that probably only builds over, over time. Um, and you know, you can never read the future, but you can pretty much presume that, you know, cyber adversaries are going to keep trying to do what they do to the government and to critical infrastructure. And so it's, it always makes it more important when you hear about attacks, uh, when you heard about colonial pipeline, 
when right. you saw gas lines on TV. Like I'm old enough to remember the 1970s and remember what gasoline lines looked like. I think it was pretty shocking. And I think things like that, as unfortunate as they are, tend to bring it into the public eye and tend to bring it um, right back to the government and say, you know, we all really need to to work very intensely on security improvements. So as a 23 trend, totally. As 24, absolutely. And I think, you know, well, well beyond that. I don't I don't think this this particular trend stops anytime soon. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, but like I said, when I first heard about it, I was like, how is this not already, how has this not always been the way it is? Right. I was surprised that it was an, an issue. And in that same article, actually, there were a few other things that um, that uh, Bob Costello, who's the CIO of CISA, brought up. And that was increased meetings with industry. He said that those had been happening. Um, I find that very hopeful. And then he says that IT systems are rolled out to sort of function and security wasn't baked in from the start. So dare I say he's saying DevSecOps here, like we need to implement DevSecOps or am I not quite hitting the mark with that assumption? I think you would hit the mark really well with DevSecOps, especially on the on the last piece of it. Um, you know, I think it's been a true trend. You can, you can talk to a lot of people about it that said, you know, we are, we're so enamored of technology and next generations of technology, just as a society, not just talking about government, talking about all of us, that we always want the next best thing and we want it right now. Um, if security costs a lot of money to put into stuff, um, and you know, the market is price sensitive, so the market you know, down from, say, you know, mainframes that cost $50 million down to your iPhone, which, you know, you want that to have a lot of functionality. I think we have always pushed off security. That's, a, I think, a truism that really, really sticks. Uh, just Absolutely, because it gets in the way of my objective. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, so the downside is that if there are sophisticated hackers and they do want to target you, You'll feel the pain. Um, but, you know, if you haven't done the investments in security like that, then then the pain's going to find you. Um, the other thing that Bob said about sort of relying on the private sector, I, I think you would find uh, every good government technologist out there which talks publicly all the time about the importance of really leaning on private sector tech companies. I mean, those are the you know, developers of, you know, software, hardware, lots of other things that really can lift up security, that can lift up customer experience, that can do all of that. And so I think the government's reliance there um, to sort of, you know, purchase from the companies that really know what they're what they're doing um, is, you know, rock solid is really 100 percent. I think, you know, within the government, you still hear about internal, um, you know, development efforts like making making software work exactly for my agency and that happens and sometimes those are you know government driven things but really everyone would tell you that you know the reliance on the good private sector tech firms is you know is uh, paramount is you know 100% and that won't that won't tail off at all when i first came into government technology when I, you know, first started working in this industry, I feel like 
there was a big, um, dare I say, battle between GOTS versus COTS. So has that shifted or was it just a perceived battle and it wasn't as much of a battle as I thought it was? Because this would have been like over a decade ago. So for you to say that government's recognizing industry, that's warms my heart. And I'm wondering if that's kind of fairly recent. A lot of things would come into play with that question. I'm, (laughs) I'm not your best person to be be asking that, but if you were looking at, you know, COTS type of stuff, so basic off the shelf available tech, um, I think that it makes a lot of sense uh, especially as technology products and services get better and so become COTS type of products, that that those would be things that you would rely on. For things that you need to be either developed more or differently or integrated differently with your technology enterprise, I, I would assume, and you know, I'm getting way over my head here, there would always be some need for customization there. Yeah, um, absolutely, you, right? You couldn't get around it. But if you if you look at kind of the rising tide of technology and you look at how tech gets better, I think a lot of those things become over time more COTS type products. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of makes it easier, you know, not only for government, but for business, for kind of everyone to be able to know that I can I can buy some great stuff that does a lot of different things and I don't need to necessarily customize it a whole lot. So that was probably more of a battle 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I just have an inkling, just a feeling that it's probably less so now. Yeah. Well, I mean, just for the CIO of CISA to say that there's increased meetings with industry and that that's like a really good thing. So we're coming up to the end of our time. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and tell me what's coming. What are the big, maybe one, two things for 2023? Well, I hate to be boring, but a lot of it's going to be do it more and do it better. And so I think for for government, um, I think the security work continues full speed ahead. Um, and I think there's there's an absolute push by the administration on down from OMB, CISA, to really keep doing this. Um, something that could get in the way, as we discussed, is funding levels to agencies because you can only spend what you have. Um, that's, that's kind of big. I would personally be looking as a, as a news editor at Meritalk for, um, some more stuff to be revealed, um, about, uh, customer experience improvement within the government. Um, I know things are going on. Everyone knows things are going on, but we're kind of waiting in a sense for like the next big bang. So look back, um, at the customer experience order. And there was, there has been some, some really intriguing talk about things such as a new federal government front door for citizens. And I know GSA. Well, it means that as a citizen, you would begin interacting with the government for any kind of services that you need or anything you need to know through a, a more useful, a more integrated uh, like portal that you can go to that, uh, if you logged in, it said, Oh, hello, citizen. And it would know your name and it would know kind of how, how old you are. It would know things that you were, 
you know, sort of life events, as they say, that you would be getting getting ready for, that the government would come into play. And so think of, or at least I've thought of, think so of- So like Social Security, VA, like all of it's coming in through this single portal? Well, the way that you would interact with the government, you would go to that portal- As an end user. And right. And so the government would start flowing information to you in more helpful ways, in more easy ways, in more ways that made you better understand what government can do for you. So I look at it as, you know, let's say you log on to a really slick website that you use that's run by a private sector company that you work that you think works really well. Um, think of a government version of that. So we all know that's being worked on. We just haven't really seen it yet. Uh, GSA is working on some prototypes I have read, uh, but we really haven't seen it. So I think for kind of big bang, big headline stuff, um, I think some more action on customer experience improvements within government will be a really interesting story. And they've had that EO in place for customer experience improvement since late 21. So been almost a year, and I would just think maybe 23 is the is the time when we start seeing some fruits of that, and it could really generate um, not only you know a lot of news buzz amongst people like like me, but you know it could be you could see that front page of the Washington Post. You could see that as a as a thing that you know citizens really sort of grab onto and get excited about. So yeah, no, I mean you said make that? it. Well, you said make it easier and I just felt my shoulders relax and I'll just share a quick personal story. Like my dad passed away three and a half years ago. He's a re retired colonel. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to set up the burial. Well, right. he forgot to tell anyone where his discharge papers were. You have to have those for the burial. Right. I couldn't get them, John. You know how we finally, we did, you know, he got... He got the full military burial thanks to the wonderful people at Camp Williams. We called out there and they knew who Colonel Ford was right. and they, they took care of it. But it was tears. I mean, you can imagine like hours online trying to find this stuff. Right. I mean, just trying to get the right documentation. It was awful. Right. So just that. Breathe a sigh of relief. Right. Yeah. Right. No. And, and, I think there is there is a lot of sensible things that can be done that way. I spoke, it's probably been over a year now, I spoke with our friend uh, Jonathan Albaum, who works yeah, service now. Uh, at, at ServiceNow, but was previously the CIO at the Agriculture Department, and just a, a really great technologist. When you speak with him, you really get great ideas. And uh, we did an interview with him about his, his thoughts about customer experience but how the government could be could provide what he called anticipatory services. So the government can can you know know from your prior interactions things like your age or things like if your dad is old or if your dad was a military veteran, and they can begin to suggest things to you that maybe you want to start thinking of. Government right. Did you know that we offer this service? Like there's so much the government offers that people don't even know is out there. Exactly. And so um, when you call a, you know, ride sharing service, right? I won't mm -hmm. mention names of any ride sharing <laughs> services, but when you open up the application, 
It just has a couple of questions in there. It's what do you want? Where do you want to go to? Who, who do you want me to build it to? It's like three clicks, right? And so um, taking it back to the, to the uh, customer experience executive order, they really are, they set a goal in there essentially that says, you know, give me a front door for citizens where within three or four clicks, you get to some great place where you want to be. It's information you want. It's going to absolutely help you rather than having to go onto a government website uh, that you kind of don't understand, that isn't very intuitive, and maybe doesn't have all the information rounded up in one place. Or you so don't you even know which one of the government websites to go to. Like, I'm just imagining, I could have logged on as me. They could have, they knew I'm Colonel Ford's daughter. And right. I could have said, guess what? He's gone. I need your help. Right. Right. Like, I'm just imagining this world. I love it. So, okay, there we go. There's the, the call to action for our agencies. I mean, um, I would just say, look in, look in 2023 for some progress on that because yeah. it's been a while. We certainly know that people are working on it. So there's, you know, parts of the government, there's like uh, U.S. digital service. We know they're working on it. We just don't know where they're at. But, you know, really, really good technologists within government are spending a lot of time on that. So I'm looking forward to that one. Let's put it I, that way. I am looking forward to you telling me all about it um, through love your Meritoc reporting. Would love to. All right. Before I let you go, I got to ask you one Tech Talk question because I told you earlier, I'm always looking for good books for my reading list. Okay, and we're not like... I'm looking for like the trashiest thing you read, John. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't read trash. I read oh, okay. history. Um, so, you know, American history, World War II history, stuff like that. So I just, I don't, I don't read the trashy stuff. Okay. Um, I, I also can't give you a good technology recommendation because um, I probably read about tech 12 hours a day. Yeah. And when the 13th hour comes, I don't want to read about tech anymore. Well, so well let me give the technology recommendation for you, Maritalk. But yep. let's go to, you just said World War II. Um, yes. Always been fascinated by it. Do you have a favorite, like a go-to author? Or do you have any, do you usually read nonfiction? Are there any? There, there certainly are some go-to uh, historical authors, especially for World War II, I would recommend a British author named Max Hastings. Max Hastings. Some really good sort of campaign level stuff. Um, we had the good fortune to be able to visit uh, France a number of years ago and to spend a week in Normandy and oh, so wow. visit the beaches and be in the hedgerows and all that. And it's a very sobering, but great, but beautiful experience. And, you know, you're in the French countryside. It's it's just ridiculously great. And so um, I've read three or four Normandy campaign histories. And, you know, those are the things that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, you know, I don't have enough free time to read the trashy stuff. That's You know what, though? I shouldn't have said trashy. That was kind of tongue in cheek because this I love this stuff, too. I have an author, Frank Delaney. He's an Irish author. And he like, wrote a beautiful story called Shannon. And it's mm -hmm. on World War One. I. I mean, it follows the life. It's post World War One, and it actually oh. revealed a lot of things to me about World War One and just the warfare that I hadn't thought about before. 
And right. it's just this, this man's life afterwards and him trying to put it back together after right. this horrific war. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things about liking to read history, um, it gives you some perspective, obviously. It tells you some things. But it also makes you understand that for most of us, the lives that we're living right now are, are cotton candy compared so privileged. To, to what the last, you know, X episodes of history have been for many, many people. And so, you know, we do have progress in a certain way. And but when we sort of look back at people in, in all situations, um, we realize that, you know, life as we get to enjoy it now, um, it's really got it's really got a lot of advantages and it's kind of yeah. up to us to build on that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, here in the United States. I mean, we're yeah. very I'm very privileged and it's yeah, it is a too. good it's good to read those kinds of books to remind me of that and give me perspective. I love that. It certainly is. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for spending time with me on Tech Transforms today. Lovely speaking to you and hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Listeners, if you enjoy the episode, please share and smash that like button. And we'll talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 